The rule of three states, things that come in threes, are inherently more appealing than those that don't. With the next generation GMC Sierra, Canyon, and Sierra Heavy Duty, we couldn't agree more. Whether you choose to have the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate, available only on the next generation GMC Sierra SLT, AT4, and Denali models, to confidently take on heavy loads with the available 6.6-liter V8 Duramax turbo diesel in the GMC Sierra Heavy Duty, or to get behind the wheel of the only mid-size premium pickup on the road, the GMC Canyon, you'll realize all three help you do one thing. Go professional grade. Step up to GMC and get 20% below MSRP on next-generation 2019 GMC Sierra Double Cab and SLE Crew Cab models with a traditional tailgate. We are professional grade. GMC. Offer includes price reduction below MSRP and purchase allowance. Not available with special financing lease and some other offers. Take retail delivery by 9319. See participating dealer for details. Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're about to listen to an episode of The Tour Coach, which is going to give you an inside look at coaching golf at the very highest level from on the PGA Tour with my guys all the way to here at Mobile, Alabama in the Dew Sweeper Dome as we help folks of all skill levels, all walks of life, learn to achieve their golfing goals. Hey everyone, welcome to the Tour Coach Podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, one of your hosts around here, and I want to add a little bit of context before we get into today's episode. You find us in a room at the Pinehurst Resort. This is during the Golf Top 100 Teachers Summit, and uh, we're in this room. Tony Ruggiero, our, our host, is obviously there. We have Nick Clearwater, who is the Golf Tech Vice President of Instruction. And we have Dylan DeGere of Golf.com from the Drop Zone podcast. And we just kind of had a really interesting conversation about teaching tour pros, asking questions about golf tech that, you know, I had, that Tony had, had a really great conversation with Nick, uh, enjoyed this kind of round table discussion in just a, a, a small little meeting room off of the conference center. So enjoy this chat. And we have more from the Top 100 Summit coming from you here on the Tour Coach Podcast and as well over on Golf Science Lab if you're interested. All right, let's get into it. So I'm curious. So Nick runs a golf tech, kind of the instruction side, the training side for coaches. And I'm curious your perception as an instructor of what they do at golf tech. I, I don't know. I've never okay, heard so I've never I'll asked be you. honest. Okay. Not that I'm normally not honest, but like here, I'm really going to be honest. So like, I don't, I don't know a bunch, but I'll say that this, so before I met you at the PGA show, me, you, Matt, Rudy, we all hung out and, and uh, that was an entertaining evening, but like getting to know you, I ha I think that, I think that teachers that don't have good opinions, you know, probably don't know you and your knowledge base and know less about, and don't take the time to find out would be my gut gut feeling. Okay. Yeah. So I don't fair. know if that's, you know, I mean, but like, I think, uh, my only, you know, like I would, I'm always curious cause I have three or four people working under me. Like, I mean, how the hell do you train that many damn people? Like that drive me crazy. Yeah. Well, for some context, we've got, uh, <laughs> 205 locations, about 850 coaches. And, uh, last year we taught 1.21 million golf lessons. 
So that's the scale. It's it, so it's it exactly it's exactly the same. I mean, yeah, no, but a little totally different, different than mine. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no. So that's the hard part. You have to be very organized, very systematic, very structured in what you do every day, and it has to be a system that's simple enough for someone who's never taught a golf lesson but is super eager to do it. And that might be somebody fresh out of a PGM school all the way to someone who's had a, this is their second career. Right. Uh, we get a ton of coaches who have taught at driving ranges before with no technology or nothing more than just their, their opinion and years of wisdom of just experience, evidence-based practice experience, really. And then they have to come to us and we've got to be able to educate them to sit at a computer, talk to a student. Uh, have a launch monitor and motion measurement data, like a similar to KVEST is really what we use, six degrees of freedom, uh, two sensor system that every coach uses in every lesson, and two cameras that are shooting 120 frames per second and 1080p. And all this stuff is going on really fast all day long. So the answer really is everything has to be organized and it has to be uh, a really high level of efficacy before we teach somebody to do something to keep them out of the fringes and off the off the fray little pieces about what what you could spend your whole day trying to help people do that isn't going to help them play better. Like I th I like the structure. So I have a young guy that teaches for me, Easy E. You, mm -hmm. you know Easy E. I mean, there's a reason Easy E has a nickname, right? And I like uh, him already. I mean, he's yeah, great. But like, so I was he's got a boat. He's got a boat that he bought off another cart boy. I mean, it's a long story, right? <laughs> so uh, only in Alabama. So, but I had a, I had a sit down with him the other day about like, hey, you know. So he's he's gained a bunch of knowledge watching. I'm like, you got to get out and watch other teachers. But then I was like, what you're missing is some structure to your lesson. And I think that's great for, I use young, meaning more like green and teaching, like yeah. where you have it. Like, well, you you kind of hit it too, like knowing things, having information mm -hmm. is not knowledge. No. That is like the path to it. That's the building blocks of understanding what to do. But uh, like you could sit in a room with golf instructors who study things, study various things. Uh, biomechanics is so pop right now. If you've never taught a golf lesson and then you start studying this field of biomechanics and trying to learn about that, that doesn't mean you understand biomechanics. It just means that you've tried to learn a little bit about that. So we try to do the same thing with our coaches. You can't just know tidbits. It has to be organized in a system so that you can understand how to use that information you have. You still have a copy of it somewhere, but way back 15, 18, 17 years ago when I started and I, Hank Johnson, who I taught under, he had this thing that he gave us. I don't know if he met, wrote it or made it up or whatever, but, but it was the three stages of a teacher. And he said, you know, the first stage is the first stage teacher teaches what they do. Yeah. Right. Right. They That's, just teach what they do. Right. Second stage is you get a system. And the third stage is when you can actually teach cause and effect. And not many people make it all the way to third, right? Yeah, More now, I think, probably with technology. But, like, I was like, okay, so, Eric, you've spent – you're doing great. I mean, he's building a business, like, and you're a likable guy. And he's going to get pissed when he listens to this. But, like, you know, <laughs> but, uh, like, it's time to have the structure and go to phase two. And I think – but that's what I think. But, and I think that where people, if they criticize what you guys do, they don't understand that, like – that's good. That helps. Yeah. We aren't even trying to limit someone either. So right. like if you came to work for us, you know exactly what to do every single day. You just get some brand new tools that we provide and uh, show you how to use your teaching system and all that information and knowledge, you know, and just use it in our system mm -hmm. to be fully capable of doing whatever it is that you want. Right. So we're not interested in blowing up anyone's uh, uh, current teaching systems. We're just trying to get them to integrate together. But I think the structure for the general public 
John Q. Golfer is phenomenal. Yeah. Though, yeah. Because, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, I mean, I, I think it's, to me, that's way better than going to a driving range and a guy with no structure, no technology, and just his random ideas and thoughts trying to help you. You know, that's a tough way to go through your day and it doesn't work very well. It's not repeatable either. So, so you might be able to learn how to teach on a driving range and help a handful of different people with different problems. So someone who slices, maybe you're good at helping them, but someone who overdraws, it's tough to learn how to stop doing that too. So what we're trying to do is offer uh, any student who comes in and answer to whatever their problem is. So if they slice, their coach is going to know how to help them stop doing that. If you hit behind the ball, your coach will help you stop hitting behind the ball. And it won't take long. They're well armed in that the, those pieces of information. So we talked about on the Golf Science Lab podcast, your study that you guys did. Fascinating and informs the way that you guys teach. I've learned a lot from you. We've hung out here a couple of days and I've learned a lot. I've really enjoyed it. Dylan, I'm just curious your your perspective here. First of all, I like your choice in shoes. Um, this is this is a good thing to talk about on a podcast. But yeah, I mean, um, visual. I mean, such a visual right. podcast. <laughs> yeah. I do have a good picture of us from last night, though, that you can put up when we drop that one. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. What what is your perception of of golf tech, and like what do you what insights are you finding interesting from from Nick here talking about this? Yeah, well. I mean, first on the shoes front, we had Brandel yesterday on, on our podcast, Drop Zone Pod, and in the middle of recording the pod, he's like, oh, I got to show you guys this picture. <laughs> like, Brandel, it doesn't actually <laughs> translate super well to the right. audio format. But it's it's interesting being here in more of a big picture way because you see these, I don't know if clashes is the right word, but it's a clash of ideas, even if sure. it's not personalities. I think for the most part, things have been cordial, but you see people that are so passionate about what they do work really hard at it. And then there's this, you know, contrast of some old school, some new school. But I think that and you guys will, will know more about this. It seems like everyone is looking forward much more so than the industry would have even a few years ago. I mean, like even the people that, you know, you'd say, oh, you know, this guy, he's not a super young guy, whatever. People are like, still trying to push boundaries because I think you have to. And that's a long way of getting into what I think about golf tech. But one thing that I was talking to Susie Whaley yesterday, and she was saying that only, what, 10% of golfers get lessons, period. So I'm wondering how much golf tech is a competitor with, say, a someone that's giving private lessons versus kind of a, you know, rising tide lifting all boats of, uh, if someone gets a lesson with you guys, maybe they're act. Maybe that's actually someone that just wouldn't get a lesson otherwise. Yeah, no, and then Dylan, they'd be more likely to to get a lesson with other people. Yeah, no, I appreciate that perspective too. And then, ten uh, percent of people take golf lessons is the best guess that we've got. Uh, mm-hmm. There have been several studies that have been done about how many lessons golf tech gives out of that percentage. And I've seen anything from twenty to twenty six percent of all the lessons in North America. So that's oh, wow. Canada too. I don't know how great that information is, but it's at least a start anyway. So, yes, uh, I think that there's competition if you want there to be. But quite honestly, if if uh, we do a better job than someone else, I would tell that person just do better. It's not that 100%. tough to do. Just mm-hmm. do better. Uh, we're offering a really good product. That's why we're doing so well and teaching all these lessons. It's okay. But I think that kind of competition is what makes a, the golf instruction stronger. 
But secondly, there's so many golfers in the world that there's plenty of pie to go around for everybody. And we're not even scratching the surface on that thing. So put all that together and I don't see the, the competition or like a real problem. I think that there's been a big push towards golfers know more and more that they should get fit, right? For golf clubs, irons. I'm a big proponent of that. But I'm not sure that it hasn't gone too far that way that people are like, oh, you know, my game's fine. I just got to get fit for irons and I'll be set. When really, I mean, that 10% number, that's not a good thing because most golfers are not beyond the, no golfer is past the point of getting a lesson and improving based off of that. Golfers are naive to how to get better. So you're so susceptible to the marketing. So this is is a random question, like really more like, so, so you brought up that like, custom fitting i mean to me like custom fitting and that area of like has grown unbelievable it's all the rage right right yeah so you want and you wonder if that's because equipment manufacturers people spent so much money on it right Mm -hmm. so you wonder if we spent that much money promoting people to actually go get quality instruction if we'd have the same impact on people going to get instruction you know like if you actually had a real campaign where you convince people that like you know Buying an iron set of irons can help you, but like really going and spending nine hundred dollars on lessons with somebody in your system or my whatever could actually make you better. Like you wonder if like if you put the same marketing dollars to each, like you wonder what the I'm I'm just curious. I don't know. That's what we do. We spend a little bit more on lessons right now, but the half okay. of our spend is basically on on 50 50 of each so people come to us and uh, generally want help with their golf hitting i would say more than anything they're tired of slicing a ball into the trees mm-hmm. or every time they pop up their driver whatever it is that's where they start so we'll give them the education they need to get rolling on that and then very quickly we look at their clubs but not to uh, sell them things is quite honestly just to distill the information to them that you might be holding being held back by your gear so we offer all the uh, all the same custom works you can get at any boutique offering, except we we do something a little bit different because it's not our our bread and butter of how we make money um, and how we run our business that we offer OEM stock equipment that the boutiques do not do. So we'll give you the same custom fit uh, experience you might get at any boutique or club champion or cool, uh, cool clubs or true spec that's in here. But we'll still sell you something if you want it for the same price you can get it at uh, any big box store. So see, that, so that's similar. Different. Like my bottle, I mean, obviously I'm a small little, I have a golf school, right? Mm-hmm. But it's similar. Like, and I've done stuff with some of the bigger, you know, with, with some of the high-end custom fitting. But like my complaint has always been like, so I teach a lot of juniors, right? Like, what's wrong with me fitting a kid in a set of irons that's S300s that we just bend a degree flat and they spend $700 versus $1,200, like, when he's going to grow, Yeah, I'm in the same boat even for amateur golfers. It's the same deal. Like, I agree a thousand percent on the, like, I think fitting and teaching go together. They do. Like, because I know... One, I know where I'm trying to take my student, and I've seen folks go into places, a lot of bigger box, but like where they just fit the ball flight on the monitor, right? Where that may not be fixing their golf swing. Right. You know, you may be saying like, no, we're not going to do this. You're going to learn to do X, Y, or Z, and this, you know, this fit works better for that. So that's why I think you got to have instruction and fitting go hand in hand. And I think if a person doesn't do them together, 
one side of the equation isn't is not being done to benefit. A lot of people come to us and they say they want 20 yards of distance with their driver. We can help them real quick, usually in a club fitting for that, but to keep it sustainable and really solve the rest of the problems that made them come in anyway, it's got to be a blend of the two. And then we're not there just to sell golf clubs, so we don't close our doors if we don't sell you thousands of dollars worth of equipment every day. It's not like that, so we're just much more unbiased. We can uh, give you exactly what you need without trying to... Uh, make you spend as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Nick, what's interesting after spending this uh, this weekend with you is your confidence in the product that you deliver. Where does that come from? Is that because like the evidence base, like the database of, of swings that you guys have and the research you've done with that? Is it because of the training that you take the coaches through? Like where does that, like yeah. you have a lot of confidence in your product. It sure, seems like. sure. So, uh, well, I have to. I'm in charge of making sure that we're we're doing the right thing every day. Our company values are strong. We're really just interested in getting better and doing it with as much integrity as we can. So there aren't smoke and mirrors. Nobody's hiding any answers from you. If anybody had a golf question, I'm happy to answer it. Our YouTube page is covered with that. And then uh, we're just looking to get better all the time. So I'm not too worried about that. We've also, because we're such a large company, we invest in our product enough to know uh, if we hire, we've hired a marketing firm as an example to help us review our product and see if there are any holes or things we can do differently and better. We're always looking to evaluate it and see what's what's lacking, what's missing. And then they're coming in saying, you guys as a company and the structure and the way you talk about uh, what you do, we have no shady sales tactics and your coaches are trained really well. The onboarding and the education is, is no sound. Fun, no shady stuff. Yeah, awesome. wait, this is where all the fun is. Yeah, Tony, this doesn't blend with your lifestyle. <laughs> Where's oh, the scam? Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> I cleaned up so much over the last three weeks. That's, that, <laughs> that's my work life. You know, that's not, that's not the rest of it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of what we do. And uh, it's mainly because we're always looking at it with a, a very keen eye and looking through the lens of how can we get better. Yeah, I kind of want to circle back. We were talking about the differences, you know, in the like brand or today, you know, and then you talk about how everybody's here to learn and the environment. And I think the environment's changed over over the course of the years that come into these two. And I think that like it's not just the presentations where people learn. I mean, to me, one of the most yeah. interesting like the main reason I come to these is the peeling off and sitting and having a beer or a glass of wine with a teacher and talking about something or like, you know, I showed a video to Chuck the other night at the bar of a student of a tour player of mine. And that's like, to me, like everybody sees the speakers, but like, if you could actually go around and film all that stuff, it'd be fascinating. Oh, yeah. I mean, you and I've before stopped and talked and you exchange, it may be five minutes or whatever, but like, that's to me for the way I learned is, is, is valuable as any of the stuff I watch in those presentations. Yeah. I think that those, I mean, I was talking to, you know, I just had a very tiny role in, in setting this stuff up, but I talked to Luke Curdenine, who was really the mastermind a bunch about, you know, he was, he's worried about, you know, you only get a certain representation of, of people because there's only X number of speakers you can have and demonstrations you can have. But I was like, look, man, some of that's just inspiration for cocktail hour. Like I did a lesson with Gankus yesterday on the, uh, on the range. Was Which like, was awesome. That was really fun. It was really fun. But I was like, look, man, people just need something to talk about afterwards anyway. So if this sparks different ideas and different conversations come out of it, then I mean, a, that's the useful part. B, that's the fun part. And my guess would be, because this is true for me, but with more technology over the years, people might 
know a little bit more what they don't know. And so then they're more willing to to hear other ideas from, you know, experts that can fill in those gaps. Maybe maybe that's not true. Maybe the more people know, then the more they just think their ideas are right. No, I think it's uh, it's interesting over the years. I mean, I've been coming to these things as long as Tony has, for sure. And uh, uh, with technology, the ideals and what people start believing in start becoming more synonymous. They come together that way. Tech really shows that there isn't, there really truly aren't thousands of ways to swing a club. There are maybe a hundred and there are probably only about 10 ways to really describe those very well. So uh, with more tech, everybody starts looking at things more like-minded. So and that was the, not as combative. You see, you take like one of the more anticipated presentations obviously had to be Jacobs, right? In the golf instruction world, right? You had the two sides and there was going to be like a brawl. And, and uh, but like, so as I watched that, I mean, I said like, so that's just another way of describing a bunch of this shit I already told people, right? And it was cool to see it done, and it would kind of validated stuff maybe that I thought or knew, but like kind of like you're like I think that there's like I mean, like I don't know that there's any. I think we're measuring stuff, and I think we're finding out maybe why some stuff happens, but I don't know that we're necessarily reinventing any wheels even though people are repackaging things with some technology in different ways yeah how you describe things and then uh, the kinetics or how, how you apply force to a golf club that's pretty new that's not something that's even measurable on any sort of scale right now anyway that's going to be a different horizon of golf and that won't take too much longer before someone develops a consumable way to get that data uh, so that part feels pretty new, but it still comes back to the kinematics, which is how you move. And to be able to apply a force to a club, you need to know how to move yourself around. So it still comes back to the way that we've taught before. So any kind of description about kinetics is really just a different way of describing things. For example, you heard uh, an instructor in there talk about alpha torque. Well, alpha torque is the same thing in the backswing as uh, really radially deviating your wrists. Uh, that's how you'd apply that to change the torque. So... You need to know both if you're going to keep moving forward. Well, uh, so one thing I'd be interested to hear from you guys is how how you focus on narrowing down what you do with all this input, all this new technology. Because I spent, you know, I had I had half an hour to spend with Jacobs this uh, summer at one point. Went out to see him at his club, and we walked out of there like. I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. Like there was just so much coming at me. And it's like taking was... a sip of water out of a fire hydrant. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> you tried that. Huh? You tried that. Yeah, I bet you did down in Alabama as a kid. Because he wasn't just—he was sort of—he was giving me information for an article, so he wasn't just treating me like he would treat a, a normal student. Because first of all, he was like, "Well, look, we'd be in here for three hours, not half an hour, and I would be more careful not to confuse the shit out of you." But. uh that's got to be a, an issue now that you can you can tell people so much more, but your teaching is only as good as their learning, right? So, how, I mean, how do you negotiate that? Your system's got to be simple or complicated. So uh, if I wanted to tell you everything I know about golf, that'd take us a few years to probably navigate that conversation and take some bathroom breaks. And I'd be impressed, but I'm not sure I would It's totally worthless. Better. Yeah. It's totally worthless. Right. So I need to be able to say uh, what's important for you, whatever your problem is or whatever your education level is in golf, period. Uh, be able to say a simple message in small, tiny words that you can understand very quickly. That's actually I, I always think that the best, like one of the real arts of teaching is knowing when to shut up. Sure. Right? And... um 
you've watched me teach a bunch, unfortunately, probably for you, but um, like I'm never going to be accused of over teaching. Right. And I think that uh, like I, I think they're and I think that that's one of the hazards of, of technology for beginning and experiences that keep going with stuff. Yeah. They don't know when to stop or whereas like as you gain experience, I think you learn like, okay, the student's got this and he may still have hit a shitty shot or two, but like, so like, you know, when George worked with you, I mean, there's a little bit of it, like you're hitting bad shots and people are saying, Oh, you hit bad shots. But like some of that's just you processing it, having to work your way through it. And that's how you learn. I mean, and you know, and I, so I think that like, that's the art of teaching is being able to assemble all that technology and knowing when the players had enough. And then knowing when to shut up and just let them do it. Because ultimately, they've got to do it. So there's your information versus knowledge piece again. I think just the longer you start teaching golf, if your system's good, the less harmful you are. Mm -hmm. So you know to say, like, Lucas hits a bad shot. You've got probably two or three things that have been cues over the years to help him him take curve off. (laughs) One is he yells at you. The second one is probably his left wrist. Yeah, actually, he's he's as easy as they get. But, yeah, I mean – so like, and we talked about tour players earlier. And so I try to have with my tour players, I mean, here's three things you're focused on. I try to not have more than that. And we know what their effect on the golf ball is. And I think that if you did the same thing for a 15 handicapper, yes. right, it's the same deal. That's right. I mean, like I write on a note card for every one of my students when they leave the three things that they're working on. And I always, I learned it early. Like if you took one student's note cards from all their lessons and you laid them out on this counter there would be a lot, mostly the same three things. They may be described a different way. We may have done it in short game one day or and then on a drive or the other. But you, but like a person to me, these traits and tendencies don't change from week to week. Like the stuff they worked on with you, stuff you've always needed to work on, you just didn't roll out of bed and that shit was happening. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm curious, do you have any, uh, you know, I think of Justin Rose as a guy that likes to have a lot of hand-holding, mm-hmm. even on the, he might be playing well, but he'll still be on the range before a tournament, and you know, he'll be checking in with Foley like every swing, like, oh, is this okay here? And it sounds. Do you have any guys that are more like that? You're more of the. I mean, more is less. Or um, less is more. So I think players and you would, I, I think, you'd like gravitate towards the people that fit what they want. You know, I mean, we just saw a Foley impersonation in there, right? You know, and. uh you know, so like a guy that needed that probably wouldn't be a good fit with me. You know, I think, but I, I and I also think that, like, so like, obviously, I've worked with Smiley Kaufman a bunch over the course of the years. We had a bunch of success early in his career and we're working together again. Like, at times, I would say he was a person that needed a lot of that and he shares a bunch of videos. But I also think, is he, you know, I've tried to get him to be more self reliant and be less dependent because I think that makes him a better player. But, uh, you know, so I don't, most of my guys are all like, once they go to a tournament, like other than we asking about like which football game we're betting on and stuff like we don't, you know, I mean, it'd be rare that I get a video, you know, unless it's, you know, like Lucas was in Asia for three weeks. Like that's a long time to be away where you don't have a lot of contact, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, my guys are very self-sufficient. Yeah. But I, but I try, I like that. Right. You know, and I mean, because like I don't feel like that if I don't hear from them, that doesn't mean I'm not doing a good job or they don't need me. Um, Like so Robbie Shelton and who's a rookie on tour. And, you know, we went to Key West together and drank a bunch of rum in January. 
And we played nine holes together at Key West Golf Club down there. He holed out on the ninth hole to beat me, give me a bunch of strokes. So. And then we went to South Florida and we worked a bunch. And then he got playing good, and I didn't really see him till like, I went and watched him play nine holes a few times and went and watched the tournament watched him play. But I didn't really give him a golf lesson until Las Vegas in September. But he got his tour card, you know, played great. But, like, you know, it's like somebody called me when he played good in – Golf Channel or somebody called me when he played good in uh, Greenbrier. And I was like, well, I mean, they're like, I go, yeah, I still teach him. But, like, he's playing great. He just shot 62. What the hell am I going to tell him today? You know? And uh, and so, like, you know, I like that in him. And now, you know, he hasn't played as great. Went to Birmingham last week, and we spent a bunch of time together. And he's staying with me at the RSM in two weeks, and we're going to stay together and work and, and do that. And so he'll probably miss the cut staying with me and working every day. But, you know. But um, but that next week though, then you know he's gonna have his note card. He's gonna have his note card. He's gonna have his note card, and you know uh, have you babbling in his ear. He'll play great. You've heard it here first. I caddy for him. I caddy for him. I missed the cut. I mean, I'm awful as a caddy. I mean, Lucas never misses a cut. I caddied for him. He missed the cut. Oh man, only yeah. Well, I won't ask either. No. no, Dylan, you got like uh, every tour player wants something a little bit different. Like Justin wants that mm-hmm. camaraderie, that partnership, that mm-hmm. leadership. And that's where Sean Foley excels. If there's anything that he's out there, he realizes that his energy and his friendship with these guys is just as important as anything or more so than what he even bothers to say to them. Mm-hmm. So that's not my game either. I don't and have I, time, and, the time to do that. Unfortunately, I've got a job and I couldn't go to a PGA tour right. event with someone every single week anymore. Right. The number they'd have to pay me is so astronomical. So <laughs> the if somebody, a PGA tour player calls and says they need help or something, typically it's with their driver. I can help them pretty quick with that. And then I'm, I'm out of there. And yeah. then if you want some more help, maybe we yeah. can work something out, but I don't even really do that anymore. Because it takes nowadays, I think, and we heard different people talking about I think Brandel talked about the evolution of the tour teacher, basically, right? Um, so, like, I went to 28 events last year. That sounds horrible. That right? sounds so bad. So when you have, but when you have guys at different stages of their careers, yeah. like we have a guy like Lucas who knows his schedule, and you have a guy like Sepp or a guy like Zach who was playing on a medical and he earned his way back. Like, but they don't always know when you get in. So you can't just like plan. I'm going to these events. Right. And, and so, but to what you said, like the personal aspect of it is a huge part. Like we eat together most of the time. Uh, I mean, you've been around it. I mean, yeah. we go we, to help somebody be responsible for their game is a real daunting task at that level. You got to be in into you're in. You're you're yeah. all in, and yeah. and I applaud you for going to 28 events: rental cars, hotel rooms, airplanes. It's glamorous. Those are it? dirty and awful, and <laughs> I don't envy any second of that anymore. I no. used to do that. So. And, and it, but I think when everybody no starts teaching at tour events, they think. It's going to be like, think it's, like awesome. it's not yes. Augusta every week, no. right? And it's not the U.S. Open and all that stuff. And and even majors get tight, you know, get old. But uh, anyways, you got to love what you do to be in it. Just like you wouldn't train the people you train and be as passionate as obvious it is when you talk about you what you guys do if you didn't love it. I mean, yeah. and and for me, if I was in your job, I mean, I'd jump out this building right i mean because like it right but that's why like i always tell people like that's why there's so many tour teachers and different teachers because there's so many different personnel well the biggest one for me this year that stands out is uh at bay hill i was just on walking the range steve strickers hitting balls it's he and his wife who's caddying for him next to him because you know he'll he'll hit a couple balls and then he'll just glance over his shoulder because right behind him is bryson Mm -hmm. bryson's got a, a dozen people 
each of them doing something, you know, not just milling around. They, everyone's got a, you know, so-and-so's down, lying on his stomach, taking phone videos in slow-mo of a position at impact. And everyone's got a job. He's losing his mind. And eventually Stricker just went over to him and was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what? I, he was genuinely curious. He wasn't saying it in a mocking way, but I was like, there, there cannot be two more opposite approaches to this. Of, you know, Stricker's just doing his thing he's smooth and irons because that's what he does it's what he's done for decades and bryson could have just about won the couple weeks beforehand and yet here he is reinventing the wheel again so it's a, he is a guy that seems like he needs constant feedback from he would have to be right up there and i don't mean hand holding in a negative way right like i mean he certainly needs or appears to need constant information and affirmation yeah. about what he's doing. Like, otherwise you wouldn't have that many people around you all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't have that many people I like, much less. A t- he we might know. not be a good fit for you. Bryson might not be meant to be for you. Your partnership. No question. Like if you picked a guy like now, I know Bryson for being out there. Right. And he played on the Walker cup that Robbie Shelton was on. So I've been around him a bunch super. And I will say this, like, I think he had, like, I think people, take that image and they like somehow derived it a negative mm-hmm. about it. Right. Yeah. Cause, and they take the slow play stuff and derive like away from that. He's as nice and genuine and pleasant yes, and yeah. thoughtful. And like, is any person you meet, like if I run into him walking through the locker room, he'll be like, Hey team, man, what's up? Everything good. You know, like yeah. and then he gets on there, but, but he's doing his job too. I mean, you know, and I, I mean, well, a lot of them are. It's interesting. Uh, some guys like that. Uh, you, you talk about uh, Stricker, Dylan. That's a good one. He's so comfortable in what he's doing. Nothing about golf seems fragile to him. Mm-hmm. He's, he's he has a system. He knows. That's well, that's well said. Good. Yeah. Uh, other players, and I'm not saying Bryson necessarily, but the the feeling of fragility. I've seen that way too much in too many mm-hmm. tour players that feel like at any moment. They don't do when you see the players who are really structured in their regimen and what they do. Like I always practice this way. I always yeah, yeah. do this. I always show up at the same time. That's a sign of that fragileness that they feel. That's where uh, we're interested. I'm I'm pretty interested to see if uh, like Brooks Kepka's temperament catches on here. I say that because there's a guy who has no fear about his golf game falling apart. Meanwhile, 120 other people out there do. So when a reporter gives him a hard time about working out on his heavy day on a Saturday when he has the lead and he says, what's the big deal? I'm just going to walk a couple miles today. Anybody can do that. That hasn't been around in a long time. So I'm real interested to see how how, uh, the temperament changes out there. Well said. No, I'd I'd agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see and to see like, I mean, since he came on tour and started playing good, he hasn't had any adversity either, right? He hasn't, I mean, like, you know, like the PGA, if he blows that league, could go sideways, right? I mean, that thing could it have been. It was going sideways. It was going sideways. Yeah. You I know, and I heard that, a great that story. one moment, he, uh, the Masters, I mean, he wins that thing if he doesn't hit a pitching wedge in the water. Mm-hmm. There's a little adversity there, and then still to come back and play so well for the rest of the year. You know, it's, it's a bit, but it's going to be interesting, you know? So, like, uh, you know. I mean, but unbelievable how great he's played, you know, and, and props to Claude for the work he does with with him and DJ and, and those guys and Ricky. I mean, and some of the work he doesn't do, like you were saying before, you know, sometimes it's because Claude's he's very visible. Oh, he's extremely. Sure. But I, I remember Kepka was saying, you know, he's playing so good in one stretch that he, he said, no, I told Claude, you can stand behind me, but just don't say anything. I thought that was pretty funny. It's like, yeah, you know, you can be there, but 
Don't try to help me right now. I'm good. Right. I mean, sometimes, you know, the best thing to do is just stay out of the way. I mean, they're really good for a reason. And, and I think that, uh, but like, yeah, I thought like, I mean, I don't know that Claude gets enough credit for like managing, just managing players at that level, egos and keeping them all placated and where like, and all feel like they're all getting the right time and all that is, is, is tough. I got to bounce, but thanks a ton guys. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Nick, I'm sure you relate to this, but you know, he's asking about, you know, all this information. I think one of the most interesting examples is just watching like Tony brings like Scott Lennon, biomechanist. Always bring smarter people. I mean, (laughs) dude, I totally get it. I'm surrounded by people who work with me that are all smarter too. They're looking at the data and he's going over all this stuff and they're, they're talking in the tent behind the golfer and they're looking at the screen and they're going, they're talking about this stuff and you know, the golfer's kind of doing their own thing. And then Tony will come out and say like, do this simple one line, two lines, feel this. We need to try to do this. And all of a sudden the ball starts going and just like farther straighter the whole deal. Right. So it's the, the idea is you take the complexity and turn it into simplicity to make things easier to get them done faster. Yeah. I think that's the the simplest way to yeah. So you can make that. this really complicated, like uh, in the backswing when the shaft's parallel to the ground. The tour average of the two hundred players that we've measured that play competitive golf turn their shoulders fifty three degrees and their hips somewhere between twenty and twenty five, and their shoulders are tilted twenty eight degrees to the left, uh, and their right tilt of or their hips are pretty level at address and they're about six to the left by that point in time. And then their hand path is moving in some direction and the face is a certain angle. So all of that could be said to somebody or a slicer walks in and you could turn their grip to the right and tell them to move their hands in in the backswing. That's like how to, that's golf. That's golf lessons. That's what a real knowledge is instead of just bits of information that aren't useful. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. There's one thing if you know about me, if you've listened to the Dew Sweepers, you've come to listen to me talk, is you know I'm big on loyalty. We give 100% here at the Dew Sweepers. We put a lot of emotional investment into everything we do with every one of our players. And the same can be said for our partners and the folks that have been with us for the long haul and help the Dew Sweepers, help our juniors, help us get to our tour players. And so I want to give a special thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors are, first and foremost, Buick and our local Buick dealers here around the Southeast, Shrixon Cleveland Golf, who've been with me for over a dozen years, and their belief and support of what we do here with the Dew Sweepers. And lastly, the folks at Vineyard Vines. The folks at Vineyard Vines love what we do with junior golf. They support us on the road. There isn't a better family or group of people that are going to help us look our best, play our best, and have more fun than the folks at Vineyard Vines. So special thanks to our sponsors, 
Please support those as you get the opportunity. And for more information about any of those, check us out at dewsweepersgolf.com, or you can always check me out on Instagram at the Dewsweeper.